0: We started a political party, but we still have no idea what to put in our manifesto. Welcome back to our podcast. It's all about exploring policies and ideas from the fringes of British politics to build a manifesto so crazy it might just work. I'm Sam Jackson, and I'm joined by my fellow political sleuths, Graham Wilson, with an Irish doubleheader today. Hi there, I'll be talking about AIM2 and traditional unionist voice. And Will Mitchell, who'll be covering a party... I don't believe I can pronounce properly, so I'll leave it to you.
1: Guled, which uh, translates as nation in Welsh.
0: And finally, I'll be covering the Heritage Party, the UK Heritage Party. Not to be confused with the Heritage Party of Zambia, Malaysia or Armenia. You are kidding me. There are many of them, but you'll be uh, pleased to know it's not a global movement. Those are just people who happen to have the same name. And this episode, we're going to be covering, as you might have guessed it, tradition and heritage. Uh, Of course, we're doing this because we haven't got our own ideas. We need to steal other people's for our manifesto. So at the end of the episode, we'll be debating what we've discussed and hopefully putting a couple of ideas on paper. But before we go into that, guys, what are your fun facts for
2: this week? My first fun fact, my facts are parliamentary traditions. That's what Mm, I focused on in in this. Um, So did you know, until 1998, if you wanted to make a point of order in the House of Commons, you had to wear a top hat? Did not know that.
1: I did not know that. Is is that why you're wearing a top hat right now?
2: Exactly why, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Um, They used to keep collapsible top hats around the chamber. And if you go on YouTube, you can watch this. People run off to go and get this sort of top hat that expands and they stick it on and make their point of order. It can get quite ridiculous at points. Is this, this, what did you say, the 80s? 90s. The 90s? We were alive when this was happening. Wow. 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 But top hats are quite a recurring tradition in Parliament. If you want to get a seat... You have to put a prayer card down on it with your name uh, to reserve your space for morning prayers. And then you get the seats for the rest of the day. It used to be you put a top hat down. But then to get around this, people started bringing two top hats so they could leave one in the chamber and then run off and carry on with their other business with their hat on. And it got to the point where people were bringing in cases of top hats.
1: Brilliant. I, do, I, I think this is also true that MPs used to be able to carry swords into Parliament. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. there's an area where you could still store your
2: swords. Uh, other parliamentary traditions I looked at. Uh, so during the Queen's Speech, the state opening of Parliament, an MP will be held hostage in Buckingham Palace as collateral. Oh, yes. Now I know this. Yeah, <laughs> that's, true. that's true. That still <laughs> happens. It's a bit like Designated Survivor with Kiefer Sutherland. Just less glamorous. Less glamorous. Yes. <laughs> and my, my final parliamentary uh, sort of fact is actually from across, across the sea in distant America. So during the State of the Union address, now what uh, congressmen do is they have a date with someone from the other party, and they go and sit next to their date during the State of the Union to promote cross aisle cooperation. I quite like that. I think that's yeah.
0: good. I mean, because you, you can't, in theory, if you're, you know, a Labour MP and you're friends with a Conservative MP, if that doesn't indeed really still happen, you're not going to go and sit next to each other, are you? You'll be. Laughed out of your party, so I mean, that's a good idea. It is it's a
2: safe, space, safe for, um, space for bonding with the other party.
0: Yes, I don't know if you've ever watched Prime Minister in Question Time, but I don't think it's a safe
1: space <laughs> by any means. Do you know if you um if you as a constituent you can go into parliament at any time, go into reception and speak to someone behind a desk and demand to speak with your MP? And no matter where your MP is at that moment, as long as they're in Parliament, they could be in the middle of a speech. They have to go and address you. So someone will go and fetch them, bring them to you. And that is still in place today. So you can actually do that. Do you reckon we can make use of that to try and bring them on the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arrive yeah. in Parliament okay. with a microphone. I
0: demand to see my MP.
1: I've, I've got some fun facts. Um, because I've been looking into Wales, I've got some old Welsh traditions, which, which you might not mm. be aware of. Oh. All right. So the first one is Kallenig. Um, and this, is, so it's believed that trick or treat was invented in Wales, um, but it wasn't on Halloween, so it was on New Year's, uh, where groups of young boys would go from door to door. Uh, they would chant rhymes, splash people with water, and ask for kalanig, which uh, is basically small change. Hmm. So baking. Not begging, if that's what you guys trick or treat as.
2: I'm not sure I'd appreciate it if small boys threw water of me in January in Wales. It's, it's, quite, quite,
1: it's quite an aggressive way to do it. It um, frees
2: quite quickly, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs>
1: true. The other one is, uh, and some people might know this, is that the Welsh uh, like to wear a leek in their hats uh, on St. David's Day. No one really knows how this started. But legend has it that Saint David ordered his soldiers, who were probably monks, to wear leeks in their helmets when the country was invaded by
2: the Saxons in the fifth century. And you can still see this today at Welsh rugby matches. For example, when the modern-day Saxons, England, go to play Wales at Cardiff, you can't move with people with leeks in their hats. Really, very intimidating. Oh yes, yeah, along yeah. with the daffodil hats as well. It's a real <laughs> uh, as
0: vegetables that instill fear. The leek is probably the least offensive. Do a lot of damage with a leek.
1: Can I can I give you just one? <laughs> <laughs> can I yeah. give you just one fact? Fun, nice fact about Wales in general. Please, uh, is that there are more castles per square mile in Wales than in any other European country? Wow, uh, what, no, more I than th- Scotland? Th- uh, yes,
2: more than Scotland. of that- France?
1: Uh, more than France? Uh, sorry, I, I read it as any other European country, Sam. Mm. Uh, you but, did, but you, I'm questioning you, it. You say that's a nice,
2: <laughs> nice, wholesome fact. I'm sure Welsh nationalists would say this is a brutal legacy of English colonialism.
1: That's a good segue for later in the podcast when I'll be talking about the history of of Welsh uh, independence.
0: And for me, obviously looking at heritage and traditional parties ended up going a little bit back in time, looking at some of the older parties. So this led me to the Whig Party, who were of course active between 1670s and 1860s. What I didn't know is the term Whig is derived from Wiggamore, a term originally used to describe people from Western Scotland who came to Leith to buy corn. Uh, So there you go. Maybe you are related to some Wiggamores? From way back when, my Scottish friends. Perhaps, perhaps. Turned out there was actually a revived Whig party in 2014. And in the 2015 general election, they ran in Campbell and Peckham. And they stood against a gentleman called David Curtin from UKIP. Mm. And David Curtin left UKIP in 2020 and formed the Heritage Party. So I'll go into the Heritage Party in just a second. However, before that, what is heritage? What is this tradition? What is this idea these parties are putting forward?
1: So when we say tradition or traditionalism, uh, we're usually talking about traditionalist conservatism, uh, which tends to focus on the concepts of nation, culture, custom, convention and tradition. Uh, Religion is usually in the mix there as well.
2: Quite a few of these parties have grown up in the recent years. I think Gwilad are a bit older, but all the rest of them we're covering today have been within the last 10 years often as a reaction to a perceived drift from mainstream parties towards wokery or, you know, the, the progressive ideals. This hasn't gone down well with some people. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So let's kick off. The Heritage Party. So the Heritage Party is a Eurosceptic, right-wing, populist and socially conservative party founded in 2020 by London Assembly member for UKIP, as he was then, David Curtin. Their website says freedom, family and nation. And they say for too long, the United Kingdom has been led down a path of managed decline by successive governments. And the current government is ruining society, culture and the economy. We are a great nation and we deserve better. So strong words really about, you know, moving back to a more traditional um, society, which they believe. Yeah, so there's lots of crossover with other parties we've covered, right? On the libertarian side, there's about free speech, free markets. There's a lot of religious elements about family values and that sort of thing. And they're kind of, you know, pretty anti-woke and anti-immigration as well as a concept. So that hopefully sets the tone for what these guys are about. Will, before I go into their leader and some of the manifesto pledges, you've got some other fun facts, right? Maybe not fun facts.
1: (laughs) Fun's an interesting choice of word. So yeah, I painfully read through their manifesto uh, and had a few observations Uh, So they're obsessed with hate crime, I think Mm that would be fair to say. Um, That appears a lot in their manifesto. They think that's the biggest concern that people have uh, in the country, or one of the biggest concerns. Um, I disagree slightly with that. So they also criticise the SNP, so obviously the ruling party of Scotland at the moment, um, their hate crime bill, saying it would make even reading the Bible out loud a crime, which again, I I don't think is... Factually correct.
2: Uh, I, I think in the earlier iterations of the bill, it would have done because this. Is what, yeah, I already yeah. been the consultation responses; they had to change it because of that. It's Hamza Yusuf who did it, and yeah, it was just like any religious text basically would be knocked off. By what it. saying it out loud? They don't quote me on that, but I think that's.
1: Yeah. Well, they, well, they, they have obviously a big issue with that. Um, they're also slightly obsessed with Marxists hiding under the bed. So I think with the manifesto, you could play Marxist bingo um, at the amount of times that Marxism is is mentioned. Um, and if you want to find out more about what a Marxist ideology actually is, then you should listen to our Big Gov, Small Gov uh, episode that we did um a few months ago. But they really believe that Marxists are kind of running the country, running our education system. And obviously, that's that's not true. We haven't had a Marxist government in the UK. Some of the other things, they want to remove funding for charities uh, in the third sector as a way to save... Billions of pounds. They want to remove certain useless degrees. So obviously, both myself and and Sam have a have a drama degree. So that would that would fail to exist uh, if they were in charge of the country. And the only sensible policy I would I would agree with, uh, and this is at a push, <laughs> is that the police force, prison service, and probation service and courts must be properly financed. So the country has effective policing and a criminal justice system, which I think sounds sensible, uh, but I agree slightly less with what comes next, which is that they want to end politically correct policing or justice. Uh, and you guessed it, stopping the police from kneeling before Marxists.
2: So they'd be very supportive of some Bravoban and the cenotaph stuff.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's hard to make a case that the Home Office is run by Marxists, um, or has ever been, but that's, yeah, that's but what they kind of apply.
0: Polar opposite to the Taking the Initiative Party that we covered the other day, who were pro-creating a hate crime register. No electoral pacts likely then between the Taking the Initiative Party and the Heritage Party in the future.
2: No. It, it does seem to me that David Curtin is, is prospering now he's left UKIP, though. Compared to UKIP uh, or the other parties of that kind of like ilk, but I would recommend that you watch. There's
0: a video, it's their most popular video on their YouTube called Heritage Party Restoring Our Nation, and it's an utterly bizarre, psychedelic, ultra-low-budget animation launch of the party manifesto, and it's utterly bizarre. David Curtin, as I said before, uh, was in UKIP, then he started the party in 2021. He was a former chemistry teacher, and became elected as a member of the London Assembly from 2016 to 2021. He ran in several elections for UKIP and even tried for the UKIP leadership coming third. And the Heritage Party themselves, again, they've contested in eight uh, recent by-elections and elections. The highest share of the vote they've got is 1.6%. Now, I did go on uh, Wikipedia, of course, the fountain of all truth and knowledge. And I did initially think they had one councillor in Staffordshire, but I realised on closer inspection that was actually due to a formatting error in the table on the <laughs> Wikipedia page. And in fact,
1: they had one candidate. Although I saw an interview with David Curtin, and he was asked in that, you know, how did they feel they did after the, I think it was the 2021 elections. And he said really well, you know, they, they stood 67 candidates uh, and managed to double their vote share from from the previous election.
2: So They must be getting money from somewhere then. If they're fielding this many candidates, they must have a bit of cash. Came.
1: Mm. Well, that, that also came up in the interview where David Curtin said they do not have much money, but that there have been offers of money. But he was a bit cryptic. So he said that there's been big offers of money, but that he would have to take a certain position on the Middle East and Middle Eastern politics. Uh, so he refused. Who's giving this money? (laughs) Who's offering? Very mysterious. Very (laughs) mysterious. Does not go into more detail in that interview.
2: You could know that transparency in politics is alive and well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, he did refuse. He did refuse. Yeah.
0: Okay, so, I mean, uh, we've covered a lot of the manifesto stuff already, but, I mean, other pits that Will hasn't mentioned, you know, there's things like claiming there's no climate emergency, they're very gender-critical, um, you know, talking about introducing Hungarian-style legislation to prohibit the promotion of what they refer to as PPP star plus.
2: What do they say all those letters stand for? They didn't
0: Featen spell it? out the acronym. Right. Okay. So I can only assume they're taking... right.
1: And they have been accused of being homophobic.
0: They have part. been, yes, exactly.
1: Which so, they have denied, but... I'll
0: put my hands up and say, I really don't believe pretty much anything these guys believe. But I did find David Curtin frustratingly likable. He's a, he's a positive, sort of larger-than-life, enthusiastic character. And I think if people did believe in those policies, and of course they're fighting against reform and reclaim and all these other guys on that right side of the political forum... He could perhaps get a little bit more publicity.
1: Which is maybe why he came third in the UKIP leadership contest absolutely. back when he was a member of UKIP.
2: I do reclaim and reform how this electoral pact, they don't stand against each other. It would make natural sense for them to get the Heritage Party on board with this as well. Has there been any talk of a tripartite coalition?
0: Not that I've seen, although I absolutely completely agree with you, yes, that would be sensible because they're all stepping on each other's toes and mm-hmm. they're not getting that many vote. Well, I mean, reform is now polling pretty high 6% the other day yeah.
1: if if you look at uh the heritage party's twitter account uh i was starting to look at some of the comments section and a lot of people are just saying join with reform why are you not part of reform mm, so exactly. i actually think there is a big um there's a lot mm. of support
2: for it. Uh, i know i know um, is it Rebecca Jane from UKIP she's very big on this grand coalition of the right mm. idea and she's always saying let's know put aside our differences but that's probably because UKIP are a bit further right than the rest of them and no one wants to play with them basically yeah
0: but it's interesting because we covered in our big government small government episode a few weeks ago transform politics being a new party formed by the breakthrough party liverpool community independence people's alliance of the left it is a concept that works and that brought together about six thousand people as members i mean they launched in in november with this if that's the way they want to succeed bringing those parties together forming the pacts or forming groups maybe that's the way that they can have a bit more Influence in a voting bloc.
1: And I hope that they don't do that. What <laughs> yeah. well, my I, own political views? I,
2: I don't think there's much risk of that because, in the nicest way possible, there's quite a few egos ticking around amongst all these different parties. Mm. And I can't see, you know, Neil Hamilton and Lawrence Fox, you know, ceding power to each other or Richard Tice mm. suddenly taking his hands off the driving wheel and saying, on you go, David Curtin.
0: Yes. So you're safe, Will. Don't worry. That's again, we're all safe, I think, because again, we don't believe in what they say. Although Graham, perhaps being a self-proclaimed libertarian, in some senses, may agree with some of their elements, perhaps.
2: <laughs> self-proclaimed nominated by my Nominated, Yes. Well, look, you
0: did. You you used to talk about the libertarian party the other day, and you said you
2: didn't mind some of their policies. I've, I've got a libertarian streak, but I'm not a libertarian. There's a little libertarian in everyone. Exactly, the, exactly. It's bigger in you.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say, Curtin got um, uh, he got a bit of flack during the COVID-19 pandemic, where he contested COVID-19 claims by stating that the disease was no worse than the flu. Uh, he was heavily criticised, uh, heavily criticised by the Conservative mayoral candidate Sean Bailey, who saw this as irresponsible for an elected politician. That's the same Sean Bailey, of course, who decided to have a party during lockdown. So I'm very glad you made, made
2: that connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On Lord, front, Lord Bailey, as he is now. <clears throat> Lord Bailey. Oh, yes. Lord yes. Bailey, yes. Wow.
0: Um, and on that front, actually, you know, the COVID aspects they had. I can't remember where the last lockdown was. COVID feels like an age ago. But they still have reinforced several points in the manifesto, no more lockdowns. It's a pinnacle part of the, their manifesto that's just like a
2: libertarian, absolutely not. Don't tell me what to do. You said you're looking through the, uh, the manifesto. It doesn't surprise me, the anti-COVID stuff. Did our old friend, the 15-minute cities conspiracy... Make an appearance. They then... did
0: say something about 15 minutes. Yeah, there we go. The yeah. bingo,
1: bingo card. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And to complete your bingo card, 5G. They had a bit on that too.
1: Did they? What did they say about 5G? <laughs> well, the, uh, the masks
0: will get you. Oh, yeah. Apparently. A couple of other points. There was one I found on self-sufficiency when it comes to energy. And I thought, fantastic, that's a great idea. You know, renewables, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. I got the wrong understick stick here because actually what they mean by being self-sufficient in energy is reopening mothballed power plants, coal yeah. power plants, <laughs> opening new oil fields and gas fields, and then we'll see certainly not a Green Party. Now, I found on their website they were opening up for candidates to run in elections for them, and they had this in 2021. There was a comprehensive form you could fill in, and they had one very clear stipulation was that there was a number of groups you cannot have had any membership, support, or association or involvement with. Now, guys, what do you think those were? Give it a guess.
1: Communist Party of Britain.
0: No, you could absolutely be a communist and join the Heritage oh, really? Party. The,
1: the Labour Party? No, absolutely fine. Think, think, Liberal Democrats. No,
0: they're fine with those guys. Think a bit on the fringes, the far right, the far left. The, the EDL. That's correct. EDL are on there. So EDL, National Front, BMP, and they've got some stuff on the on the far right, far left as well. Scottish Dawn. Not sure if you've heard of those guys. That's a Scottish neo-Nazi group. So you can't have been involved with them if you want to be a party candidate for the Heritage Party and Antifa
1: as well. Antifa. Antifa's not an organization, isn't it? No, it's like a concept. It means anti-fascist. And you yeah. just kind of group a bunch of people into that. It's not even a group. Yeah. It's oh, just...
0: Well, don't don't be an Antifa person if you want to be in the Heritage Party.
2: That's the <laughs> so no balaclavas allowed then, basically.
1: No ba- no balaclavas.
2: That's a good rule of thumb for any party. That's probably any, good for any political thing. candidate's yeah. know balaclavas is probably a good idea. Let's put that in
0: the
1: manifesto pledge, I think. Great. I think it's a real shame that we can't wear balaclavas.
2: It's a Crimean War output. Nobody's saying don't wear cardigans and join our political party. That's another bit of knitwear that came from the Crimea. I've never seen you wear a cardigan.
0: Do well, you own
2: any cardigans? That's because I don't be associated with Antifa. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> So that's
0: the Heritage Party. As I mentioned earlier, they're very much about family values, but the next party that Graham's going to cover
2: is even more so. So today I'm talking about Aintu, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Aintu is an Irish party, an all-Ireland political party. Aintu means unity, that's because they want to unite all of Ireland. Just to sort of set these guys up, though, so the two parties I'm covering today are very, very similar. Um, So TUV, Traditional Unionist Voice, with Jim Allister, and Aintu with Peter Tobin. But both parties basically came out of Sinn Féin and the DUP respectively by uh, members of them who felt the party was drifting too much to the centre and abandoning its traditional ground. So they both broke off and set up their own mini-parties with them as the main figure, Aintu for Irish Republicanism and TUV for uh, Unionism.
1: I mean, too, they're, they're not too far away from Sinn Féin still in a, in a lot of their standpoints, you know, in the sense that they are Republican, all Ireland, as you mentioned, left of centre on economics, they support small businesses, uh, promote the Irish language, uh, and you're critical, but also anti-Brexit.
2: Yeah. So I, um, they do ultimately want to stay in Europe. Uh, looking through the material, they say they want more representation for Ireland than Europe. And that would come by having um, you know a whole Ireland country basically being a member state. Uh, but the way they started, they began in 2019. So they're quite new. Uh, and Peter Tobin, essentially, there was a vote happening on abortion. In Ireland, and uh, I think he's a very devout Catholic uh, Tobin, so he couldn't bring himself to vote for this abortion legislation. Sinn Fein whipping their TDs, their tactile dials, um, to vote for it. Uh, So he broke away and set up his own party. Um, They say they got a membership of 1,300, and they they did quite well to begin with. Well, is a strong word, but they had a few defections to them, so they got quite a few councillors defecting. Since then, their results haven't been great. Uh, for Westminster, Tobin stood for a, a seat in Northern Ireland, got zero point one percent of the vote. And the twenty nineteen Irish local elections, they got three council seats. However, I, I think Tobin did lose his seat and then won it back again. Right. Um, that was in Meath. They're polling at three uh, percent in the Republic, which doesn't really match up to their electoral success, but shows there is a groundswell of support. And they're really targeting that rump of uh, very conservative Catholic voters in Ireland. And Torben
1: was, uh, previously he was a TD for, uh, it's a TD, that's what TD. you call
2: it. TD, And
1: that's the equivalent of, say, an MP, MSP.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Ireland has the Senate and it has the Dail Eireann, uh, And you, know, you have senators in the Senate. It's a very strange system for electing them, moving into that. And TDs, which have the constituencies, multi-member constituencies. And he was a
1: TD for uh, 21 years as part of Sinn Féin. Yeah, very long standing. Yeah,
2: quite a political TV. figure and very well known, um, across Northern Ireland. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of their attraction comes from is from Toybin. Um, you know, he's quite a well known name and he can get a media reach disproportionate, very much like Jim Allister, who I'll come on to cover in a second. But they're quite an interesting beast because although they're very, um, right wing socially when it comes to abortion immigration, they're very anti immigration. As they say, immigration is a question of physics. Where will they go? They ask reality and common sense must prevail. So I think they feel they should look after Irish people first and then think about asylum seekers and so forth. And they also say that you, they shouldn't criticise them for having these views. So that they, they see themselves, as, yes, as a pressure valve to release anti-immigrants uh, sentiment in a kind of contained and you know, reasonable as they'd see it manner. So they think they're being a bit more constructive in that debate rather than... Yes, yeah, so rather than just having people yell racist at you for saying you're anti-immigrant, they give it a fair hearing, as they'd say Yes, as I said, they're very big on abortion. And does anyone here have any figures on how the views are in Ireland on this? i would be intrigued to know.
1: Polls have consistently shown that around 65% of adults in Northern Ireland agree that abortion should not be a crime. uh, And that number for comparison is about 81% in the rest of the the UK.
2: Yeah, the the majority still clearly support abortion, but there is room for them to maybe target certain people within, within Ireland. As you can probably guess, they're a controversial party. Uh, the controversy doesn't end there. Um, and this will very much differ, I imagine, on your nationality. But they're a very strongly Irish nationalist. Uh, for example, there's a statue of Prince Albert at South House in Dublin. Uh, Toybin wants it to be taken down uh, as Prince Albert, as he sees it, was the, the husband of the famine queen, Queen Victoria. Oh. And he wants King Charles to pay to ship the statue back to London. Put a big interesting policy is to do all Irish unity. So previously, you know Sinn Féin and so on have said, we'll have a referendum in Northern Ireland if it wants to join. You know, we might keep Stormont, all this sort of thing. What their solution is, what aim Two solution, is to open up the, the Irish Parliament to members from Northern Ireland. So rather than having to go through this whole business and have a referendum and whatnot, they're putting a bill through in Ireland at the moment, which means members of Stormont could come and speak in the Eireann, And then just by sort of de facto, the dial would become the Parliament for all of Ireland. I'm not sure the DUP would start trekking down to Dublin. Mm.
1: They would do everything within their power to stop that from ever happening.
2: Yeah. yeah. I suppose an equivalent would be if the European Parliament said MPs could st- come and start speaking in Brussels in the European Parliament. Even though I think a, that's, a, that's a good comparison. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: I think lots of people, though, would be like, yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah, give, give those Europeans what for.
2: <laughs> and, uh, they would also, if they got in, if they became the main party, they would have a referendum on Irish unification within five years. Uh, a technical point on that, in the Good Friday Agreement, which was the peace agreement, of
1: course, signed in 1997, there is a cause in there which allows the Northern Ireland Assembly to hold a referendum on whether they would like to leave the UK and unify with Ireland. They don't need permission uh, from Westminster Um, which is different from, say, Scotland, if they want to have a
2: referendum. Yeah, I guess already pre-granted to them. And when they're ready for it, they can make up their mind. That's a big part of the GFA Good Friday Agreement. And that's how the Irish bought into it, I think, for a large part. Now, everything I've said here might sound quite right-wing to you. However, there's another side to aim to. Uh, They're very left-wing economically. So they want to get rid of zero-hours contracts. They want a constitutional right to trade unions and collective bargaining. Uh, they're also very critical of private capital. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in Ireland, there's been a lot of, um after the economy crashed, a lot of vulture funds, venture capital, private equity moved in bought a lot of the housing stock so they they really don't like that they don't like foreign direct investment i think they basically oppose a, a fire sale of ireland plc which is what they think has happened under the Overad car yeah they're an interesting party in that regard uh, with a right wing social agenda and a left wing economic agenda okay so to move on now to our next party uh, we're going to travel across the Celtic sphere from ireland to wales I'm going to hand over to Will to talk about um, his party. Did you make up that word, the Keldysphere? Is that a
0: Graham original, or is that something you found in your research?
2: It's a phrase of my own coinage, yes. Ah, interesting. I love okay. it.
0: Well then, don't let me stand in the way. Will, over to you.
2: So this episode,
1: I've been looking into gulet, uh, which translates as nation or, or country in Welsh. Uh, it was actually originally called ein gulet, uh, which means our nation, when it was founded in 2018. Then changed in 2019 to Gullad Gullad uh, so nation, nation. Uh, then in 2020, just to Gullad So by 2024, it will probably just be lead. Would, uh, <laughs> or gulad Gullad again. Gullad Gullad It was founded as a pro-Welsh independence party by Gwyn Evans, um, who said Wales really needs to move away from the Westminster circus. They described themselves as the first syncretic party in Wales. What does that mean? A mixture of beliefs and practices. So it's, you know, combined. They see themselves as neither left-wing or right-wing.
2: So like Aint, like Aintu then, I guess, they have a sort of split.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's right. So it's quite similar. They, they don't really hold themselves to either of these. Despite that, they have been labelled as a Welsh UKIP, something they fiercely deny. They deny even being a right-wing party. Uh, unfortunately, it did not help when... One of their candidates in the 2021 Senate, that's the, the Welsh Parliament, was uncovered as being a Hitler-obsessed anti-Semite who co-hosted a neo-Nazi podcast and had a swastika tattooed on his chest. Oh, that's um, not good. But to be fair, Gullad uh, genuinely didn't appear to be aware of that. Um, and when they were made aware, it, that those two members had already left the party. So they said they don't have enough resources as a small party to really do proper background to checks. Do tattoo policing. On everyone.
2: In, in previous episodes we've discussed you know the Welsh terrorists who are setting fire to holiday lets. Uh, is there any link between them and Good or they'd stay well clear of that that could kind have of brand of Welsh Oh, businesses?
1: Absolutely very well clear of that. Um as I say, they do not see themselves. They don't take that sort of criticism as as, as UKIP. Uh, they say it's, it's a you know, sneer by some of the other parties who are a bit scared of them coming into the fold. Mm. Um, I think the best way to look at Gulid would be almost comparing them to like the ALBA party in Scotland, what ALBA is to the SNP. So they have the shared mission for an independent Wales, mm. um, but they, they differ in how the country would be run post-independence. Mm.
2: Again, they're not too caught up in the culture wars end of things.
1: No, no, they don't appear to be too caught up in that at all so in terms of electoral success so in the 2022 Welsh council elections the party leader Gwyn Evans uh, he was elected for the I'm going to pronounce this horribly wrong apologies if I do so Ceredigan County Council
2: okay that sounds right to me
0: but I'm not Welsh I think it's Cardigan or Ceredigion very good but I could be wrong
1: Um, and he won uh, with 39.8% of the vote Uh, which was a majority of 13.2% over the Welsh Liberal Democrats who had previously held the seat. Uh, And the party also elected two other councillors in the same election. uh, And before that, they'd actually had two councillors who had defected to the party. So they're starting to get a little bit of traction, given they just started in 2018. Hmm. And one of their defections um, was um, someone from
2: Plaid Cymru. So There's quite a few votes these people could pick up. I'm just looking at the latest polling on Welsh independence, Please bear in mind, the poll has been done by, yes, Cymru. But according to them, 37% of people in Wales would back Welsh independence. And they've got that from Redfield and Milton, who are quite well regarded pollers.
1: There you go. I mean, apparently support has gone down slightly, just with the prospect of a Labour government potentially coming in. But um, it has been quite high, and we'll we'll come on to that in a minute. Just a side note, Cymru, um, which is a word we've used quite a bit, do you know what that means? Wales. Wales. So it means Wales, but do you know what it means in Welsh? The country? The no. Nation? That's Koolid. Land? Uh, it means friend. Oh. oh isn't that nice. nice? So what what, what do Koolid stand for? Uh, well, of course, they want Welsh independence and to reassert the cherished and rooted national identities of Wales over rootless individualism and the imposition of English identity. And again, we'll, we'll come back to that. So one of their 2021 Senate candidates, Carol James Langford, who described himself as a archaeologist, teacher, author, actor, YouTuber, and fan of lists.
2: Oh, a jack of all trades there. Uh,
1: yeah, he, he personally stood for election to advocate for the protection of Welsh heritage, uh, saying that our heritage is our meaning and our legacy. It is who we are. And by ignoring that, the politicians of today have no chance. A big part of the party does surround this need to defend and develop uh, the linguistic so really protect the Welsh language. Um, they actually dream of everyone being bilingual. So uh, they don't have anything against people speaking English, but they just prefer that everyone has the option to at least speak Welsh uh, and speak English. Um, but also the cultural and historical heritage, which is unique to Wales uh, and which has really given Wales its, its identity. Um, and they stand for freedom. That's national freedom, which is aligned to individual freedom, free thought, free speech and free action underpinned by a commitment to enterprise and free markets.
2: Is there a a roadmap to independence? What what would happen on day one if... Well,
1: let me give you some of their policies. Please do. So uh, once they've established a fully independent Wales, uh, they'll introduce a new currency. Um, They will introduce a new army and build at least one naval base. They'll introduce a tourist tax of £2 per night. Um, And they'd like to actually change the the type of tourists that come to Wales. They'd like to make it much more of a luxury uh, destination.
2: Fewer English cheapskates is what they're after
1: Which is why they also want to slap a 500% tax on second homeowners
2: Oh, yeah,
1: And that's uh, with the intention of course of helping locals to buy homes And stopping people from outside of Wales buying um, They would bring in a new state broadcaster Which would be a Welsh equivalent of the BBC uh, And build a working countryside with opportunities for the young um, but just to go back to sort of focus on, on this episode, they have a lot of criticism about the Welsh education system, and they say that when schools are teaching the history of Wales, they seem to focus only on two areas, which is the Romans and the Normans. Um, so the scope should be examined to expanded to examine uh, the other people that have potentially occupied Wales, um, including its native inhabitants that go back over ten thousand years. It'd be interesting
2: to to do that because I mean, um, Wales. There's a lot of argument that the people of the Wales are the original inhabitants of Britain, the kind of the Bithronic community. As the Romans and all these other people invaded England, they got pushed further into Wales, and they're the the, the true the true Britons.
1: Well, that is a good segue, Graham. Um, so let me just give you uh, maybe a quick lowdown on the history of Welsh independence, very quickly, just highlighting the key points. And um, but Wales has technically only ever been a single independent independent political unit once in its history. Uh, And that's when Llewellyn ap Griffard uh, ruled uh, as King of Wales from 1057 until his death in 1063. So actually only six years. And outside of this, medieval Wales was really a collection of different kingdoms divided by rival fractions and territorial claims Um, But it was unified by a sense of, say, common language, law and a sense of difference to to the English. Conquered by Edward I at some point in the 13th century, he really treated it as a bit of a colony. Uh, But then in the 14th century came the Acts of Union that really joined up Wales and England. And actually, they kind of prospered together and had this sort of shared identity. Then much later on, um, Wales really benefited from being part of the British Empire, uh, and during the Industrial Revolution, which made Wales very wealthy in terms of mining for coal and, and iron. But this idea of Welsh independence and this sort of movement really started uh, during the 1920s and 1930s when the whole economy collapsed uh, due to a lot of the financial crises in that time, which is when Plaid Cymru um, came around in 1925. So Wales's first independence party.
2: Was this also linked to to the coal as you're saying, to people realise that there's, you know, there's coal in them hills, so to speak, and you know, it could be Welsh and that could power independent Wales?
1: Well they were, no, they were from what I can see, they were relatively happy as being part of England, um during during that period, a part of the UK. Um it was only when that that industry started to collapse Then they started to go, Oh, okay. what's happening? And actually, there was mass migration to to England at that time, which also meant there was a lot
2: less Welsh speakers. You see the same thing in Scotland with the collapse of shipbuilding and the Clyde coal mining and the massive exodus down to England during the 70s and 80s under under Thatcher. Uh,
1: In the 1950s and 60s, that's when political parties started to look for ways of recognising Welsh nationhood. So that's when Cardiff became the, the capital city. The Red Dragon was actually recognised as, as the flag of Wales, the official flag. And the declining Welsh language was given legal status uh, and a government post was created to look after Wales. Hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea of Gulid. Let's see how, how well they do.
0: OK, perfect. And now back to Graham to finish the uh, the Irish doubleheader.
2: Yeah, so as the final party, an interesting counterpart to Aintu, traditional unionist voice, the TUV, set up in 2007... A uh, bit like ain't 2 they're, they're a one-man band, essentially. And their leader is a guy called Jim Alistair. He's a criminal barrister. He's a KC, King's Counsel, uh, And he was a very, very close ally of Ian Paisley, the, the Ian Paisley. Founder of the DUP, um, a unionist stalwart, uh, and splitter of popular opinion, I think it's fair to say. Highly controversial figure. <sighs> Highly controversial figure, both at home and across all of Europe. Alistair took over. Ian Paisley's seat as an MEP. So Ian Ian Paisley became first minister. Do you think that's when he met former
1: Brexit party MEP Ben Habib, who recently donated £30,000 to the party, which is one of the largest donations they've ever received?
2: Probably run in similar circles. Mm, I think UKIP approached Jim Allister as well at some point, but he said no to them. But in 2007, he basically quit uh, because of a falling out about the St Andrews Agreement. So to give you a very brief Potted history of what's going on in Northern Ireland. Essentially, they have to have a power-sharing agreement. The DUP are the biggest unionist party. They want to stay in the UK. Sinn Féin are the biggest Republican party, and they want Northern Ireland to join the Republic of Ireland in what they call reunification. Unionists disagree and think Northern Ireland is British and should remain so. Ian Paisley was became first minister. He would have to have Martin McGinnis as his deputy first minister, and Mark McGuinness was the Sinn Fein uh, leader. This angered a lot of traditional unionists who felt that uh, Paisley, who campaigned for so long against the, the against Irish republicanism, was essentially jumping into bed with the enemy, as they would see it. So Jim Allister was having none of this, and he decided to leave and set up his own hardline unionist party. He famously penned an editorial in the Belfast Telegraph in the 70s saying that Enoch Powell and Ian Paisley aligned. Enoch Powell went on to become a big political figure in Northern Ireland, but uh, as a unionist champion in some regards. Uh, he previously got into trouble, Jim Allister, because he said uh, the parade's body in Northern Ireland were, in his words, little Hitlers. Uh, he's had numerous big campaigns to push back against the, the Irish Republicans. But fundamentally, he disagrees with the Good Friday Agreement. He thinks Stormont, the Irish National Assembly, uh, is absurd. He really doesn't like Sinn Féin. Since devolution, as we know, it began in Northern Ireland, so about 22 years ago, I
1: think Mm. it was, since the the Good Friday Agreement. Um, Well, here's the question, actually. So what percentage of that time do you think Stormont has been without a functioning government? long periods um so of this 22 year period yep. what percentage has it not been functioning not not been
0: a function oh i mean
2: 30 percent yeah i would go third yeah
1: yeah so 35 percent yeah this lifespan and that and that's due to a series of resignations suspensions and standoffs uh, which have interrupted power sharing and sometimes for years at a time and, and most recently there were some um uh, more about the northern Ireland protocol and windsor framework
2: Yes, yeah, so we had the, the Windsor framework. Um, also, there was a First Minister chosen by the DUP. People didn't agree with that choice, so he resigned. Edward Poots, that was. Edward, Edward Poots became the leader, but he chose Paul Given. You're right. Paul Given as is, is First Minister. Pe- people didn't like this, so Given had to resign. Before that, Arlene Foster got brought down about a scandal about wood pellets. Um Yeah, there's a lot going on. A Nord- scandal about wood pellets? It's all very complex. Essentially, there's a lot going wrong Mm. with Stormont Mm. at the moment. But Jim Allister, some of the main things he's campaigning against at the moment, uh, he's very annoyed about Irish language signs. He gets very upset about parades happening. He's previously, uh, in the 80s, uh, been uh, there's calls for him to be prosecuted for inciting violence against Catholics. So he's a very, very traditional style of Ian Paisley, fire and brimstone, Mm. anti Irish Republican politician. Look at the website as well. They they have policy and they, they do have views on things. I think they they would rather have direct rule from Westminster than any form of republican government. But that, that's that's the TuV. Do uh, they do they ever like to be called the Tub? They don't <laughs> go for TuV because TuV
1: sounds a bit more. I don't know. I don't know. Do people in Belfast call you D-U-P, the, Dup? Yeah, the DUP the DUP? The DUP. Oh, I think they sound friendlier. They oh, I'm voting for DUP. The DUP and the Tub. Are you going to vote for Tub?
2: Yeah. The OOP nope <laughs> <laughs> well maybe, maybe maybe we might start a new trend and don't politics there but um yeah as you can see they're quite they're quite yeah in many ways they are similar to aim to they're two sides of the same coin both reactionary groups with one big figure that have grown out of their own respective nationalist movements I think they form interesting counterpoints to each other
0: okay thank you graham so as you know now this is the part of the podcast where we have to debate these ideas and discuss which are going to form part of a manifesto from my perspective where i sit politically limited choices i think for those that i thought i'd be willing to put in the manifesto but i don't know what you guys thought
2: i I think i think when it comes to the traditions we're on firmer ground personally i would like to bring back hat wearing in the house of commons for Mm. points of order there was a petition that went through which made it mandatory for all politicians to wear hats sadly it failed Perhaps we could just try and get that one thing with pointability. It might,
1: might not help with the whole, you know, feeling that um, politicians are
2: out of touch. No, either I you you've got to dress how you intend to think. If you want to think grand, formal thoughts, you should dress grand and formally. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. That's though, what, so. exactly Sam. Exactly.
0: You know, some of these are going to be silly ideas, a little bit. Some of them are actually going to be more well thought through manifesto. So I'm happy to take the fun and the and the serious at the same time. So I I would vote for Graham's motion to have hats in the House of Commons. Bring them back.
1: <laughs> well, I I'm I'm definitely outnumbered cuz <laughs> no, I would not not agree with that at all. I I is it maybe it's not so much tradition but that policy of having a tourist tax in sort of heavy heavily overpopulated areas when it comes to tourism um or overcrowded areas. Um I think it's not a terrible idea.
0: Yeah, and I think we covered in a previous episode sort of the council tax implications of second homes, so I think there's things that should be done, be it tourist tax, council tax, other aspects to avoid. Second homes, making it very, very difficult for the locals to be able to afford things. Yeah,
1: maybe not a 500% tax, that's quite extreme, that's quite but, high. but maybe uh, a slightly more higher tax I, I would not be opposed to.
2: I, th- I think there's something in that, Yeah, you know, stopping the rural brain drain. Mm. If you've grown up somewhere, I think you should be allowed to try and keep living there. Yes. Mm. I think with the tourist tax, I think the important thing is if it is going to happen, that money needs to go back into the economy. 100%. You can't just be taxing tourists for tearing up. You have to use it to attract more of them.
1: hundred percent back into the local economy.
0: So we think the tourist tax, yes, provided it's filtered in the right way. With the
1: hats, you're not sure you're on the fence? Oh, I just think it, it wouldn't it wouldn't help with the whole sort of image that people have. No, you're with right. With Parliament and feeling that it's out of touch.
2: Well, one of the great things about politics is compromise. So I'll cut you a deal here, Will. Brilliant. I'll lend my support for your tourist tax if you back my hat motion. I see, I see.
0: Well, in which case that would mean both of those would pass. The question is then, does Crinin, who's not here today, our fourth member of the group, does he get a veto? No, he doesn't no. get a veto. Um uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we can come back to the hats point, um discuss it at a, a future future opportunity. Put it in the maybe pile. Put it in the maybe pile. In the Fine, I'll accept debate. that. That's a compromise. Okay,
0: so that's two. Have we got any third ones we want to try? I'm just looking through my uh,
2: no, I I have got one, actually. Um so ain two, a lot of what they propose I don't agree with. However, I think there's stuff from the Irish language is good. I think, you know, there's a lot of Irish speakers, and you should try to protect that. So I think some of the things they're doing to promote Irish language in the Gaeltacht, the Irish-speaking regions of Ireland, I think that's good.
0: Okay, and for me, I'd like to put one forward, which is for it's from the Heritage Party. Their exact wording in the manifesto is, "'Once beautiful towns and cities across the country have been brutalised by depressingly ugly modernist architecture, mm. this must end.'" Now, I'm not an architect, I don't know do anything in planning, but I think there's something to be said for having some legislation whereby, yes, we want to build more homes, but they should, if you're going to be traditional, they should be sympathetic to the architecture in which they they are
1: added. Or you could take the Eddie Rama approach. So he's the current prime minister of Albania. Mm. When he was the mayor of Tirana, uh, Albania's capital city, he decided to paint over all these old Soviet buildings uh, made them very colourful. And actually, he's an artist, so mm. that
2: really came into play when he... Decide to paint the city so we could do something like that yeah yeah. I thought that was a really I remember that happening at the time and that was a really good policy I would 100% back what you're saying here Sam though I think both so do both major parties so Keir Starmer Labour Party Conference they said that from now on houses will have this kind of Georgian townhouse vibe to them Mm. and planning Mm. and Michael Gove has also spoken a lot about the need to have extensively pleasing neighbourhoods so I'm, I'm all for this I think we should crack on with that absolutely
0: Okay, that's good. And that's a serious policy, I think, rather than some of the more light-hearted ones we've covered previously. So I think that's a good one to put in the manifesto. Brilliant. Okay, motion passed. Okay, so that's the end. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Now, as is tradition and part of our heritage on this podcast, we like to play out with a relevant musical number. And, Graham, of course, you've been scouring the internet for the best songs and most relevant music to play us out. What have you got this week?
2: I've got a Welsh patriotic anthem called Hama O'Hid. I've been Sam Jackson. I've been Graham Wilson. and William Mitchell. And over now to our
0: Welsh nationalists to play us out. <laughs>
3: And I'm the three hundred and three And God Island go bit Mr. ni'n I could brenn a gwedd y dar a a Bye.